Hey everyone, it is Pillar here and you're listening to the No Approval Podcast. I am having such a good week. Number one, because I went to see Beyonce last night. That's right, the Queen Bee has touched down in London. And of course, as expected, she delivered. It was a great night. It was a great show. And you might have seen the clips like doing the rounds on social. She brought out Blue Ivy, who is her firstborn daughter. And it was the cutest thing. Like, you know, when you can see a mother's pride on her face, like it was just an incredible moment. But it really got me thinking about legacy and artist development, right? Because number one, when she first brought out Blue Ivy in Paris, there was a lot of conversation on social and a lot of people were very critical of Blue Ivy saying like, oh, you know... She was a bit stiff. She's not like her mum or whatever. First of all, what were you doing at 11 years old? Let's start over there, right? And secondly, it just made me really respect Beyonce because she's from a time and an age of artist development. Like Even if you go before, like, if you know their story, you know their dad had them running and singing at the same time. It is the kind of artist development they used to do back in the day. Like, if you read Barry Gordy's book about Motown that brought out the greats, like... The Supremes, Diana Ross, you know, the Jacksons. You realise that people don't just arrive in a place. Talent doesn't just arrive as stars or at the top of their game, even if it's not like music. Everything we do in life is a development process. And I respected that. Beyonce understands that. So what she's doing with Blue Ivy, this is just the beginning. Like she is teaching her daughter the ways, giving her the exposure, allowing her to make mistakes. And I just feel like we're in a generation where if you can be critical of an 11-year-old, it just shows that we just expect people to arrive. Like, there is no allowance for people to make mistakes. There's no allowance to grow. And that's why in this day and age, I feel like we have things that come and things that go because there is no long-term strategy. There is no long-term plan. There is no room for growth. And I'm just so glad to see like the plan she has for her daughter, the legacy she'll be leaving for her children. And that's the main thing I actually took from the show because I've seen Beyonce before. We all know she will always give us a show. A time was really had last night. Yeah, that is just a little thought into my brain. <laughs> about legacy and development and just giving ourselves and others the room to grow, the room to try things, the room to make mistakes, you know? Let's be just kinder. Let's just be a bit kinder, guys. And the second reason I am having a great week is because one of my dearest friends, Antoinette, is in town. You're going to hear on the show anyway, me and Annie, we go all the way back. And eight years ago, she decided to... Um, move to America for work. She went to live her dream, pursue her dream. And every time she comes down, I always say to her, we need to record, we need to record. And this time we actually made it happen. So Antoinette is not only a dear friend, but somebody that I hugely admire and respect. And it's just incredible watching her build her life on the other side of the world, grow new communities, make new friends, 
And also she is actually just a boss. So she's here dropping some gems. And I hope that you enjoy our conversation on the differences in work culture from America to the UK. If you were ever thinking about like packing your bags and heading stateside, let's get into it. Hey, Annie. Hi, Pill. How are you, girl? <laughs> Doing good. I'm good. Weather's nice. London is sweet right now. And you haven't been here for a while. Uh, I haven't been here for uh, at least a year or maybe six months. I don't, I don't know. When was the last time you were here again? I felt like I had to come. I don't know when I was when I was here. I no, think... I came for a property to look at a property. Okay, we're one minute in, <laughs> and she's letting you know she's a boss. <laughs> Everybody's got like an inner boss. So guys, obviously I have known Annie for a long time. We've been friends since we were in school. I think we met when we were, how old? 14? I think it was 13. You know what I remember? Because we went into math class together. Yes. And when I look back at it, we were actually really good. We were into like higher maths. Uh, the way they separated us They were trying to separate this friendship They were trying to separate <laughs> us So I've known her since I was 13 So we're very familiar I'll probably interchange between Antoinette and Annie But you know, it's all the same person And I go by both so. And she goes by both So it's all good Yeah, we were in higher maths class And were we both in the bottom? I know I was in the bottom of the no, higher we maths in, We were in higher maths So I think they had lower, medium and like higher Yeah So like we were like super intelligent I don't know why we were in higher maths Yeah My maths is terrible I don't so, know about yours Girl, it's the same I don't know if it was like a token type of thing <laughs> I don't know what was going on Can I even stick to a budget? <laughs> when they put me We were the bottom of higher maths So it was My mom was really scared So I had to get um private tuition outside of school because they were concerned that I wouldn't pass my Seriously? my maths. Yeah, but we both came out with Bs, didn't we? Yeah. GCSE like B, baby. I had a tutor on the side. See, same thing. We yeah. both did. We came both do it. Bs, and at the end of the day, let's be honest, I still haven't used that. that <laughs> or whatever. We still ain't used that GCSE, <laughs> but you know what? We ain't turned out too bad. So it's all good. Good. All bosses, not lady bosses, bosses. Thank you, <laughs> thank you. And then we went to the same college. We, we went to the same uni. And I think I was uh, maybe a year ahead of you. Yeah, because yeah. I had to take a, a gap year before I went to uni. But you know what? That's a story for another day. I will touch on that one day. And then Annie left us to America. So Annie, your work took you out of London. How I long know. have you been working outside of the UK now? So it's coming up to eight years. Wow. But I think even before I like officially moved, I was always traveling with my jobs before. And I always knew I was going to move to America. Like, my pursuit was embarrassing. <laughs> I was asking every single company to relocate me. And then a company that I was working with, a video game company, and it happened, happened so randomly. They were just like, my boss called me up and was like, hey, do you want to move to Seattle? And at first I was like, Seattle? Like, okay, to all my Seattle peeps, I love you, but Seattle is not the sexiest place to be in. And I didn't want to go. And then one of my friends, one of my guy friends was just like, just go. If it doesn't work out, come back. Within like three weeks of being presented the opportunity, I was in the US. So everything moved so quickly that I really didn't have a time to think about it. Mm. So a lot of people ask me like, how did you get this opportunity? I would love to move to America. I don't know if it was like God's intervention. I don't know if it was luck, um, but it just happened like that literally like that and I took the risk I wanted to be in LA or New York 
But I ended up being in Seattle for about seven years and just recently moved to L.A. My baby. Your baby. I feel like you did a stint in L.A. though before that. I did. So I was working with another video game company and they were just like flying me back and forth for like six months, one year. So I got a take. So I knew L.A. was going to be my home. But it's really difficult to get like sponsorship, visas, especially like just from like American companies if you're not working in tech, like engineering Mm. or specialized roles. Mm -hmm. And can you talk to the listeners about like your particular role and your profession and what you do? Yeah. So my profession has always been in HR, as they say in America. Um, but do they roll the R? R? Yeah, so whenever we say it, they, they How do we say it? HR? HR, we drop it down, they pull it up. I'm and just... I'm going to actually be an advocate for HR professionals right now. So I think the problem with HR is that we are put in the front of bad decisions. Mm-hmm. But really, those decisions should be communicated by leadership or management. We have no authority to make those decisions. We're just a soft face towards it. So a lot of people are HR, but I think it's misplaced. That's it's what misplaced. I would say. But my role in HR, I do a little bit of everything. I've done like recruitment, employee relations, building programs. But the piece that I really like is just the employee relations. So helping leaders like navigate like their strategy, making sure that they're being inclusive. Like I'm really big on like pushing DEI at every single level in HR. And I'm talking about compensation, performance, recruitment, management, all of those things, like if we don't pull it in all of those structures, it's pointless. Mm. And what kind of industries have you always worked in? Um, I've been intentional, I'll be honest. Like for me, it's just like been video games and entertainment. Like I just don't know. I want something that's laid back and fun. And I think I tried to go into like software engineering and I lasted three weeks. What? <laughs> I didn't know about this. There was a job, like it was out of London and I did it for like one week and I was like, this is not going to work. What were you doing? I can't remember. I don't know. It was like, it was a software. They were building like software. Okay. So you weren't coding. You were doing HR coding, in... I just didn't like the environment. The environment was just so serious. Yeah. And, like, and I think like coders don't really like talk much. They're very like in their laptop, in their work. Yeah. And it was just like the type of culture. It felt like they were just treating people like cattle. Okay. So there was no understanding that these are people. Yeah. It was like, hey, I'm paying you to do this. You do this. And that's it. No recognition for the work that they're doing. And just as a HR professional, I just can't stand by those things. Mm. I know some HR professionals can. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I just can't. Like, I'm definitely like really empathetic to like employees. And I always want to just do right. Yeah. Yeah. Why did you choose HR, Annie? What did you do at uni again? Um, I did business management with a focus on HR. Um, If you want to know the truth, I didn't see myself in HR. That's why I chose HR. I felt like there wasn't enough representation. Yeah. And I saw that when I was interviewing and I saw it when I moved into the industry where like these bold decisions that were being made were just so biased. It wasn't inclusive. Like, why are certain people, like people of color, certain ages being performance managed? Mm. And I just said to myself, like, the only way you're going to make change is by being the change. Mm. And that's why I went into it. But it's been tough. It's really tough in HR, like working under that, seeing some of the things that you see and having to stand up to executives or stand up to other HR leadership and 
know that you're putting yourself in the firing line. Of course. And that's the hard part. And I'm not saying every company is bad, but I have seen some things where I'm just like, that is just wrong. And I, being complicit, being silent, for me, it's like, I'm basically just giving you, you know, like kudos to do what you need to do. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what is like so interesting about what you do? It's the fact that, Annie is being nice here, yeah, but Annie could go zero to 100 real quick <laughs> when it comes to... I feel like I'm super nice to people, but when you cross me... That's like, it. It's like one, two, three, four, bam. Bam. <laughs> and Annie's always been my go-to person. Like, as a freelancer, yeah. anytime I found myself in certain predicaments... Annie is literally on my speed dial. It doesn't matter what part of America she <laughs> is in. I will be hitting her up like, this is happening, this is happening. And she's always constantly been advising me. Not only that, like as a freelancer, sometimes, you know, a lot of your work can be lonely. It's only since the pandemic that people have started doing um, remote work. But that has been the majority of my career mm-hmm. where you go into the office every now and again to your client's office but a majority of your work is remote and that meant that I was never ever really part of a team Mm -hmm. and when Annie would have like for the companies she worked for when she would have like Christmas parties and stuff I would always be her plus one listen (laughs) this girl has taken me everywhere the Savoy darling that was fancy Um, we we went to the British Fashion Awards I was (laughs) up in a what do you call those things we saw Meghan Markle and Prince Harry yeah we saw listen before Meghan really blew up like that we were there she has introduced me to a whole new world like you were always looking out for me when I had when I didn't have no Christmas parties to go to. She was like, yeah, just come to our Christmas party. It wasn't any Christmas party because the companies she works for are serious things. I'd be like, wow. They were fancy. They were fancy. Royal Albert Hall in a box, baby. That was, that was <laughs> good. And they were doing it on a regular basis. And I'm the worst because I would turn down a lot of those things. A lot of Aussie, your bonuses. I hope Ozzy doesn't mind. I'm going to make him watch this podcast because I'm speaking about him. Ozzy would always be like, you need to come to these events. You need to. And he would like push me and I'll be like, because I'm the type of person like as a HR professional, I like to keep work and personal separate. Why is that? Because honestly, like people have such a hate for HR. Like I learned like earlier in my career, I thought, okay, if I'm everyone's friend and I'm nice, things will go well. But there you have to make really tough decisions. You have to fire people. You have to investigate. You have to have difficult conversations with people. And often you become a target or the Mm. person that's like, hey, I don't like that person. So I'm like, if I just keep it separate, it makes it so much easier for me to do my job. So does that mean you've never made any friends through work? Uh, I've made a couple of friends. Um, Most of the time it's been in my own team. Okay. Do you think people can make genuine relationships with people they meet at work? Depending on the team you are in. It's difficult because like in HR, like you are responsible for layoffs. You're responsible for so much. It would be inappropriate to be friends with employees, especially if you're supporting like client groups, because they can turn around and say, hey, you're giving that person like special treatment over somebody else. Also, and I don't know if we're we're jumping in too much, like as a black woman, I've been always put myself in a position where almost I wanted to be perfect. This was super early in my career because whenever I do something wrong, it came down on me super hard. Yeah, yeah, I relate. Now I don't care. (laughs) Now I show up as I am. But early in my career, I was like, I'm going to be perfection. I'm going to excel in my job. I'm going to be perfect. 
And a part of that is just recognizing the situation and how it can go wrong. Mm. And also as HR, I wonder, right? Because I just feel like the office is such a place where gossip happens, right? Yeah. Because some people are there to do what they love. Other people are there and it's really about climbing the ladder and it's about making the most amount of money. So I always find it interesting, like when I have been in teams in the past, like everyone is kikiing like their friends. And then as soon as that person leaves the room, oh, did you know what? Like work gossip, office gossip is so rife, right? Miss so, me with that. Really? Miss me with it. <laughs> Honestly, like, I have more drama in my life. I don't need to add your drama into my life. Like, miss me with it. But do you see a lot of it, though? I think, do you know what I see a lot in the workplace? Is that certain managers shouldn't be managers. Oh, oh, did I say that? (laughs) (laughs) They shouldn't be managers. A lot of managers hire on likeability rather than skill set. I've done that before. I have to be honest. You've done it. Babe, I have. I'm not going to lie to you. Can I be honest? What happens there? is that you just create this bias. Like, say, for example, or they hire for, via the network. Yes. People that they know and that they feel comfortable with around. Like, I've had people turn around, and I hate this, this person's not the right culture fit. It really is, you have nothing in common with the person, but why do you need to have something in common for someone to be able to do their role? But do you not think office culture is important? I do think it's a nicer environment when you can, like, chat with people. Like, I always yeah. make an effort and I always feel most comfortable as a freelancer when I'm working with teams where they're really like they're quite chatty like they take an interest like hi what what you into do you know what I mean otherwise when people don't really say much it just feels very cold so I think culture add-in is important not culture fit so okay what does that mean for for some of us (laughs) for, for me like I think the problem with culture fit what we see is like people that want to go to the pub or we have similar interests where culture add-in is given a different perspective like for example diversity of thoughts diversity of different ways to do things I think the problem is as an introvert like I'm not the person that you're going to call to go out every single night yes but I'm going to bust my ass doing the work yes and you need that balance in the workplace I think there's a need always the time for people to connect and may not realise that maybe people connect in different ways than they are. Like, this is my box. You need to fit into my box. And I think that's the problem with the workplace, what I see. Mm. It's that I always feel like when I go into a workplace, it's draining for me to, like, yeah, Like, it's very draining for me to, like, go out all the time because it's not my personality. And I feel like that has set me back in my career. As a HR professional, do you find that you advocate for introverts a lot more because you relate as an introvert? No. An advocate just for can the person do the role is the person alone to the values. It's simple. All the other stuff in terms of like, do they have similar interests to me? Nice to have, but they shouldn't be assessed on it. Like, I don't know. Let's just think. Most company values are like, you're inclusive. You have good partnership. You have good communication. Introverts, extroverts, the ambiverts, <laughs> they're all going to have that. That's what they should be assessed on. I don't care if you go to the pub I don't care who your mum and dad is can you do the work and can you do it well like as an introvert at first I don't appear like lively but once I get to know you I'm really jokey with a lot of my colleagues so you're missing out on talent because you're focusing on what you see right now rather than letting it develop yeah yeah yeah. that's that that is such a good point yeah and I, I love to see people blossom 
And often I like to give people sometimes the underdog the opportunity because you see them blossom and they can help you grow. Like as a manager, why would you want people just like you? Mm. Unless you were fearful that you may hire someone that is smarter than you. And it happens sometimes. Do you find a lot of jealousy in the workplace or people feeling threatened? I find a lot of the, I want to keep the status quo. What does that mean? Like, I want to keep how things are working, what I feel comfortable with. So leaders build teams around their comfortability. Mm. And I don't really like to talk about like Gen Z and millennials, but like when they see like sometimes people like being more outspoken, they're like, hey, we, this person's not a culture fit. And it's like, no, 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 you don't know how to communicate with this person because you're so used to communicating in this way. Yeah, why don't you like talking about Gen Z and millennial thing? Because that's a huge conversation. I just conversation. feel like it's stereotypes. Like, I don't feel like all manual, millennials are the same. I don't yeah. feel like all Gen Z or baby boomers or Z. I don't think they're all the same. Yeah, but so do I, you not see some commonalities? Because I feel like... Yeah. I feel like when I look at the Gen Z community, I feel like they're so much more fearless than we were. Yeah. But don't get me wrong, we did some things, but they're taking it all the way. I think we were fearless in different ways. Like if maybe I'm thinking more of our circle. Like yeah. in college, we would just go for it. We would just do it. We would just do what we needed to do. And then we grew up and we got responsibilities and yeah. we started to go into our safe space. Yeah. So it's it's very difficult because I think they have the opportunity to be more open because of platforms like TikTok, whatever, where we we grew up with those platforms growing. Yeah. So like Facebook, remember, I'm home now. <laughs> now I would never. Remember, you would like, what's the thing you would tag where you tag. Do you think I would tag my house now? You're crazy. I just remember just saying, hi, good night with the girls. You going to bed now? <laughs> and then you would upload your whole album from the night out. Like, it wasn't be like one picture. Yeah. Or like 10 pictures, like a photo. It'd be like 30 It'd pictures. Be and everyone would be liking. So I just think it was just a different generation. I think now they have more platforms to yeah, have yeah. those conversations. Again, it's so complex because of the pandemic. Yeah. I think everybody got, got a fuck you attitude during the pandemic yeah, in terms yeah, yeah. of like these companies are manipulating us, they were overworked, like I don't want to go into the office. I think a lot of people realized what was important because people were dying and they're like, work is not as important. And especially in America where like they work you hard. I think a lot of companies realize we don't have control over these people anymore. No. They people got lives outside their nine to five, you know? Yeah, but I don't know why it took the pandemic for us to realize. We had to, <laughs> do you know what it is? I, I think everyone was just going with yeah. what we knew was the norm. And then when you're faced with the reality, like, yo, these might be our last days. Yeah, I get it. You're like, this is not how I want to go out. Like, I need to go out chasing my I need dreams. I chasing my dreams. I get it. I ain't going out. Doesn't matter what age, I ain't going out like this. I just remember as soon as I went back to remote and they were like, you need to come back into the office. I was like, hell to the knob. Because <laughs> you have a routine. Like you have like your gym. Yes. You get to see your friends, whether you have your partner or whatever. You get to do all of that stuff. So I was just like, you want me to come to four days in the office and sit there by myself? <laughs> and do what? And, and do I suppose what? it's like HR, you guys can like push for those kind of policies. No. Really? So this is the thing. I People get so, like, I'll give you an example. An employee is being performance managed. Yeah. And everyone's like, HR is in the room when the person's being given, like, a PIP, like a performance improvement plan. 
the manager is the one making the decision. The Listen, manager if anybody is the one ever writing it up. But what they do, and I see managers do this a lot, they act like it's a partnership. It's a manager's decision. We're just there to provide guidance and support to both the employee and the manager yeah. to make sure the conversation flows and that nothing inappropriate happens. But a lot of people come out and say, think HR made the decision. We did not. The manager did. Listen, a manager should never. I promise you, if I ever get put on a performance, <laughs> I'm leaving on the spot. I'm, I fight, I'm fighting it. One manager tried to do that to me and I fought it because I was like, I actually am performing really well. Like I'm actually doing really well. And then I realized that the person was stealing my work. Ah! So like, what some people do is like, I'm going to eliminate the competition. Okay, so let's get into that. And I was like, oh, but I'm better competition. Like, I can play this game if you want to play. <laughs> Come on, let's play. But what happened? He left. Oh. <laughs> At the end of the day, like, if you in your heart know you're doing, obviously, you've got to balance it between your well-being. Yeah. Your well-being. But in my heart, I knew I was doing a good job and I knew something was off. And you know me, that when I feel really strongly about something, I go like 200%. Yeah, yeah. So, and there's other things where I'd be like, it's not worth it. Mm-hmm. But this time, I knew I was right. And I knew that person should not be in a leadership role. Yeah. And I did what I needed to do. And I'll do it again. <laughs> no, that's good to hear that you can advocate for yourself. Because I feel like so many people are in positions where they can't. And when I said that thing, like oh, no one should ever. That's because I know I do roles that I know I can do. Now, if I went above my pay grade, guys, then maybe a performance review might be what I need if I didn't know anything. But as long as people have got the training. And you know, also when I said that, oh, I've hired someone I like before. One time I hired somebody for context. I used to work in social media. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would hire social media managers, junior social media managers. And one time I hired somebody based on the fact that I liked their social media. They were what I would call a micro-influencer. But you liked their work. Yeah, because, you know... It wasn't there personally. It was it was a personal page, yeah. but they presented the stuff they liked yeah. in a very aesthetically pleasing fashion. Yeah. So I was like, yep. And you know what? I learned my lesson. <laughs> because I was too busy thinking about aesthetics. I didn't do the proper checks on like... Can this person actually do a nine to five? Do you know what I mean? Can they lead on a campaign? Can they take an idea into execution? And ever since that day, I would still like ask for people's recommendations on social media, but I'm also going to do a proper vetting process. Like never again will I just look at something and assume because listen... Everything that glitters isn't gold. And that's why, like, especially when it comes to business, like, I've made a lot of mistakes in terms of, like, just my business ventures leading with, oh, I got this connection through a friend. Mm. And now I feel like I have to give this person more chances than I would if I just hired someone I didn't know. Oh, let's talk about that. And I've learned from that. So now I don't even want the connection now. Because I've just had so many mess ups where like people have screwed me over because they know I got their connection through someone I know and I'm going to handle it in a certain way. Yeah. When you don't know someone, you can actually just go into your savage work mode. You could just be like, you didn't do this. (laughs) 
nice to meet you. Have a good life. <laughs> and then when you know them, it's like, oh, let me be nice before they go and tell this person, tell that person. It'll be awkward when we're in yeah. the same room. Like, you can't move how you really want to move. You can't move mad like you can move. And I don't like, I hate that energy in me because now I want to be petty. Yeah. I want to be petty because I can't really act out. And I hate, like, I don't want to be petty. Like, yeah. Unless you did me dirty. Like, I don't want to be petty. I don't want to be petty. I don't want to be petty. But... Like properties, like just hiring the right property manager. Like that's yeah. so important. Like for me, I've given people chances and then you hire a new team and you just see like every single thing that they're doing that the person wasn't doing before. And you, you're angry about that because you're like, I trusted that person. I had faith in that person and they screwed me over. But I'm also like, you know what? Sometimes you don't have to address things, cut the person off move on, learn about it, make sure you vet the next person when the next opportunity happens. Yeah, sometimes I do agree, like, some things are not worth... If you know you're already irate, yeah. it's like, it's not even worth getting into the detail. Just be like, this hasn't worked out. Exactly. Because then it's going to turn into a whole other thing. And as you said, when the pay comes out, that relationship is gone forever. And then you also put your friend in a difficult position. Yeah. So for me, it would just be like, okay, let me just limit my access to that person. Let me learn from it. Also, what did I do wrong? Like, I think a lot of the time when people do you dirty, you're like, oh, that person. And I'm like, no, no, what did I do? Like, did I give the person too many chances? How can I learn from it so I don't do that going forward? Yeah, 100%. So talk to me about, like, what are the main differences work-wise between the UK and the US? You know, I haven't worked in the UK for eight years. So I guess a lot has changed, but... I was always the only black woman in every single space that I was in. And I was always asked to prove my work. Like I re- every single leader would ask me to prove my work mm-hmm. every single time. And I used to find that really strange because they would hire similar people in the same roles that had less experience than me and pay them higher than me. Wow. I think in the UK, what I learned is that, again, it was all built around... Do we all get on? Are we a family? Yeah. Like, go to the pubs after work. And I was like, I have time for this. <laughs> is it not the same this. in America? No, it's, it's different. Like, but in Seattle, uh, okay. maybe if you're in, depends where you are. If you're in New York, you may go out. Yeah. But also, it's different because in the UK, you have more work-life balance. So you yeah. have the nine to five, so you can go out to the pubs and do all of that stuff. But I also think, like, my situation was different because I had my, my mom who, you know, has epilepsy. So... I didn't have time. I had to go home and I had to go look after her and I had to go do my work. So I didn't have the time to do all of those things. Mm-hmm. I think I was more serious back then. In America, it's more like they work you. They work your ass all the time. I also think where I was in Seattle, everybody had families. Yeah. So everyone was clocking out before like five. Really? Clocking out. So how do they work them to the bone if they're clocked out before five o'clock? You go home and you work. Uh? <laughs> you go home and you work. So you just physically leave the office. You just physically leave the office. But you're, as soon as you get in, the laptop's back on. Back on for a lot of people. And I didn't realise that, like that culture. So... I was literally doing my nine to five and I was like, why am I behind everybody else? <laughs> like, everybody else is like getting their work done. And I used to get mad because I'm like, why are you sending me emails at 11 p.m.? It's me. That's passive aggressive. Like, I used to get so upset and I just realized that's the culture. So you're working till 11 p.m. in America? People just like log off, go home, cook, look after their kids, log back on. At what time? Whatever time they can. Like, I've seen emails from 2 a.m. Like, I've just seen that type of culture, that grind culture. Wow. But then when you look at the salary difference, you understand why. Okay, talk to me about that because there's this girl, there was an American girl. Yeah. Um, She works in tech. 
And she moved here. She's been making lots of TikTok videos about like the difference between living in the UK and living in the US. And I think one of her biggest gripes was salaries. Okay, let me use myself as an example. I ain't gonna tell you what I'm on now, but let's talk about like what I was on when I left the UK. Mm-hmm. So I was on 35 when I left the UK. Mm-hmm. And when I came to the States, I was on 60, which was not great. Okay, so that is, I was struggling. That is almost double. Yeah, but I was struggling. Yeah. But I jumped up to 90 and then I got to 150. Come on now. And I'm not, I'm not going to go. I'm going to stop there. <laughs> Come on now. But I think a lot of people that understand as well, like there's just things that you need to think about because like I look at food in the UK. Like, How much is the avocado? It's like under a, a pound. No, babe. The avocados are like one ninety nine. When did this happen? Because he lives. Because <laughs> he lives. I think in like in like a supermarket in like a Tesco. I think you can get like two of the mini ones for like one ninety nine. In my local like corner shop, you can. Um, What's Tesco as the price? No, I, I think they're roughly around the same. You might be able to get like one single one for like one twenty nine or ninety nine okay. if you're lucky. So in the US, it would be three ninety nine. Ah. So I think a lot of, It's not apples to apples It's apples to oranges Like you're comparing So a lot of people will three ninety nine for an avocado Are you joking? Yeah in some places Like organic one okay, Are you talking about like Planet Organic? Is that Do you guys have that there? No you guys no, have Trader like, Joe's Trader Oh my, my baby Yeah she When I went there She took me to Trader Joe's I really enjoyed myself <laughs> I love my trailer. I was living my best LA dream, baby. We got like red wine or something like that. Yeah, we got lots we got of different lot, stuff. stuff. Trader Joe's, but Whole Foods. I mean, you can get like an avocado for like one ninety nine. So is there but, an equivalent though? Like what's the Tesco of America? Tesco, Asda. So I was going to say Sainsbury's, but Sainsbury's is spinny. So I would say like Trader Joe's is actually a cross between Marks and Spencer's and Sainsbury's. Like it's oh. not quite Marks and Spencer's. You get what? I think you've been there. It's not yeah, quite yeah. Marks and Spencer's, but it's like it has dishes that are Marks and Spencer's Spencer. quality. I guess oh. I could do a pitch right now. Marks and Spencer's, if you listen to this podcast, <laughs> bring your ass back to the US. You oh, left. so they were there. I don't know why they left. Yeah. It's needed. Bring it back and bring your sausage rolls with you. <laughs> Bring yourself back. <laughs> so it's different in different states. So Costco, it, but you guys have Costco. We have Costco. Costco is an American thing that's coming But you can like $60 for a Costco membership. Like it's super cheap. Everyone has it. Yeah, yeah. But like me, I, I don't know. I don't like going Costco because like every time I go there, I spend like $400. I promise you, babe. <laughs> the same thing. Me and my family always used to do our Christmas shopping yeah. at Costco. You go in with a list. I promise you, like you go in with a list of a few things. By the time you've hit that bill, it's four hundred pounds. It's four, and Min- I minimum. I don't. Like it's it. insane. And then all, half the things go off. Yeah. <laughs> not, you can't eat that much food. I don't care if it's Christmas. You're not eating all that food. I don't know. Whenever, but people were like, "So what happens in the US? Like, you have a membership, and then your friends will come in with you." Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I they'll be like, that. "Can we go with you?" So that happens a lot. But like salary wise, it's different in different states. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I hate when people be like, I'm on an $800 salary. And it's like, that's not the reality because in America, there's a big difference between people that are, I, don't know, I hate the word poor, but like are just, let's just say below like the poverty line. Yeah. And then you have people that are super rich. So a lot of engineers, like especially the ones that work in Amazon, but work in places like Seattle, San Francisco. That's like the tech New York, hubs. like the tech hubs. Yeah. They could be earning like, let's just say from 400 to 800, depending on what they do. 100,000. 
Yes. Big Are you girl. joking? Yeah. So they're basically halfway to millionaires. But, well, this is also like total comp. So it could be. What does that mean? You got your base salary, you got your stock, and then you got your, all your other benefits, your sign on bonus. So wow. that's how I mean, they does that happen here? I haven't been permanent for so many years. I don't know. I think it can happen here, especially for the tech company. Okay, yeah, yeah. But I, I just thought the frustrating thing about the UK, I feel like salaries just don't move up. Babe, at all. And, I feel and like you have to fight. It's for, like for, fight. Like a, for like a... But you got to do that as well in America. You have to fight. Like, I had to fight for my salary. Okay. But even now, like, I fight for my salary. And I'm like... And pick what you're going to fight over. For me, I want a higher base. Mm-hmm. Do not give me a higher sign-on. I don't want to be What's a sign-on? Sign-on is like, okay, we're going to give you 50K um, sign-on. Say if you're asking for, like, 200K. Yeah. And they're like, we're going to give you 150 for your base salary and then we're going to give you 50K sign-on and then we're going to give you 20K in stock. So what is a sign-on? Like a one-time payment? One-time when you, payment. When you start but they job. say like if you leave within one year, you've got to pay that one. Oh. So it's like locking you. I don't like to be locked in. <laughs> I like to own this body. <laughs> so I don't want to be locked in, but a lot of companies do that anyway. And they do that with stock as well. It'd be like, okay, you'll get like... 50% in the first year and then the other 50% in the next year. Some companies even go like three years vesting, they call it. So it depends. And that's more the tech world. Okay. And you work on at the intersection of entertainment I support and tech. tech people. Okay. So I support like engineering teams, but my role is op- corporate operations. In entertainment companies. Yeah. But tech companies like... Netflix is, I would call it entertainment, but it's they tech. need tech people yeah. to run like live shows. But yeah. We're not going to talk about that right now. <laughs> but they need those tech people yeah. to run those things behind the scenes. Makes sense. Yeah. And those are the teams that you support, the teams that keep yeah. the So the live, live operations, like advertising platforms, just making sure like, and those things is what brings in the money. Mm. People don't realize it. Like advertising is a big part of the entertainment industry and of they need course, to make huge. sure it's streamlined. They need to make sure it's automated, like all of those things. I want to get into like some other things as well in the workplace. I heard... Yeah. Right. Is this some juicy gossip? No, no, no. Okay. It's not. I heard that like, even maternity is not even a thing there. There's no yeah. such thing as taking nine months off so or you, taking a year off. America doesn't... And they hire women as well when they're pregnant because they know that you'll take a few weeks off and you'll be back. Is that true? America is about capitalism. Money ruins the world. They don't care about your well-being. Okay. That's for you to care about. That's for you to figure out. That's your business. That's your business. <laughs> as America. And I didn't realise that Like when I first went out there and I got sick and they were like, we need your card. And I'm like... Can you treat me first? They're like, money. No. They won't see you unless you pay. They they will not see you unless you are like unconscious and it's an emergency. And all I was doing was vomiting as far as they're concerned. They were like, we'll wait until you find your car. Are you joking me? It was disgusting behavior, but it was something. So I think the maternity in the UK is 12 months, correct me. And then... In the US, it's three months. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them. All I think I feel like it's nine months. But if you want the twelve month option, got it. You okay. have to do unpaid for some of it. Oh, got it. Yeah, like I remember, it's like part of it. Most of it's paid. Yeah. So I think after three months, it goes down. After six months, it goes. down. Yeah. After nine months, it goes down. And yeah. yeah. See, I've forgotten already. Um, and then in the US, you get three months. 
there is this so you get 12 weeks off yeah you and some of that off. you might not have even given birth yet like some people what they do they work up right to their last day oh wow okay and for some people they may take time off it depends if they're on bed rest and then you would get put on like short-term disability okay as they call it in the in the u.s but what I've noticed in, I don't know if it's because I grew up in UK culture. I'm a really, I'm a nine to five girl. Mm-hmm. I'm a nine to five girl. I do not want to do it. If I can't do it in my nine to five, it's not for me. Mm-hmm. But there's this culture in America where like, we need to work hard. We need to work hard. But what I'm seeing is like, what are you working towards? You're mm-hmm. working towards a company that can let you go tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you're Facts. sacrificing going to your, you know, your daughter's recital. Like, yeah. what are you... There's this idea, and I, I get why, because people want to keep their jobs so they can keep their money because they may be living paycheck to paycheck, but mm. also their health insurance. That's the big one. Health insurance. Like your health insurance. Like you guys don't have the NHS. Honestly, sometimes I just feel like we take the NHS for granted. God bless the NHS. Yeah, I know. Like, you know, my mum has had um, surgery recently and honestly, the nurses were lovely. Oh. And I was just like, they deserve to be paid more. Yes, 100%. I say this system is every, open though. Every single time I hear about nurses going straight, I'm like, collect your money. Collect your money. You're saving lives every single day. Collect your money. And, but but please, if one of us are in the hospital, come take off your strike and help us. Come help us. But I think honestly, like, you know, you spoke about the US. I think the UK is on a madness. What do you mean? Madness. This government around immigration. They are okay, mad. Okay, babe. Absolutely yeah. mad. Okay, yes, that stuff is mad. Yeah. But like the gun crime, when I hear things like everyone, it's legal for people to have guns. I'm not playing those games, babe. I've seen some crazy little, shit in America. Little yeah. me seeing but, a gun. I could never... I would fall on the floor. Can we talk about this? Like, I, I have to be honest. Like, the same fear that I had in the UK is the same fear I have in the US. Because... In what way, like, babe? Like, growing up in South London, yeah, I always heard about people getting stabbed. Yes, and that's still, that's, that's that still happens. Things. But we have to say, like, that disproportionately affects men and boys more it, i was fearful for my brothers me too i have i have brothers yeah. i'm fearful for, for my brothers but i feel like in america it's like a anyone can get it <laughs> i just feel they like... don't care who you are the way they harass women in the gyms i see the videos harassing women in the street look what happened to like megan the stallion it's just like so for, for me i understand what america is I understand in life in general, I could be stabbed, I could be shot, I could be run over by a bus. Like, I don't want to live in that fear. I also think the media is very calculated in what they put on TV. Okay. To drive fear into people. Okay. Maybe they, maybe that is their immigration strategy. Yeah, but like... When I hear <laughs> keep the news about the guns going, keep yeah. everybody yeah. out. I'm, I, listen, I might come this summer, but only for like come. a week or two. Come, and you can stay... Guys, I'm going to go to LA. Come and stay in my, my little spot. We got pool. We got. Oh, okay. Show me the good life. Live a good life. But that is the other thing I will say, though. Okay, you know, like how you said in America, there's two types: like living below the poverty line or living extremely well. So does that mean there's no middle class, or is the middle class the majority? There is a middle class. It's just the streams is very obvious. Does that make sense? What do you mean by that? So, like, when I think of people, like for me, the working class to the middle class doesn't feel that extreme. Here in the UK? Yeah. I feel like here in the UK, I say this to my friends all the time, mm-hmm. I feel like if you live in London, the majority of people actually live the same. Somebody who works in a, like, clothes shop mm-hmm. can afford to go to the exact same places 
as somebody who is a, a, a tech bro. Like, if you live in London, there's not that much difference. Yeah, one has more disposable income, but the thing is, everyone can afford to go to the same places, is my personal view. Food, the entertainment, it's more accessible. Yes. In the UK. Yeah. So, and then they have deals as well. So it's easier. Whereas I just think, like, I'll use homelessness in the US as well. Oh, the homelessness is disgusting. When I um, I was with Antoinette and we went to San Francisco. San Francisco, I've never Oof. been back there. Sorry, San Francisco. I do not like San Francisco. Remember I told you I do not like that silly. Yes. Yeah? That was, I that is not. the worst yeah. form of homelessness I've ever seen in my life. It Seattle's was disgusting. pretty bad. Is it? I got, I got um, something thrown at my head in Seattle. <laughs> And then this guy threw something at my car and he smashed my window. I was so pissed because you can't sue a Why did person. He... Oh, <laughs> you know what? Yeah, you know those things. You just have to take the elbow because you just don't know what happened yeah. to them in that day. It's their frustration. Yeah. You just have to take the L. Sorry. I took the L. <laughs> Your head. I took the L and I ran from my life. <laughs> well, I drove from my life. <laughs> <laughs> okay, on a more serious note though, right? I want to talk to you about something quite seriously. Yeah. yeah. How does it feel for you going from a working class girl in South London? Yeah. Growing up in South London, like you said, you've seen this stuff, to now being a very established woman on a good salary, having a great job, seeing a whole different life out there. Like, what is that struggle like mentally as you go up the ranks? Because I feel like not enough people talk about that. I feel very blessed now. I feel, I mean, where I am now is I've accepted who I am now. Mm -hmm. The journey was very difficult um, in terms of, I was physically in the US, but I was mentally in South London. Mm. For a big portion of the time I was in US, I was often like, had very imposter syndrome, felt like I didn't belong. Mm -hmm. But I've always felt like that in places mm. because I feel like I just have that layer of compassion, understanding, and just more inclusive like ways of working. Mm -hmm. Where like, you know, some people, like I'll use example like COVID. A lot of people are like, well, why are people not getting the vaccine? And I'm like, certain demographics are scared because the disparity in like healthcare and stuff yeah, like that. So absolutely. I think for, for me, to be honest, which is sad for, I will say six years of my journey in the US, my mind mentally was always in South London. So did that affect like how you acted? Do it you know what I mean? It's tough. I was like, I would go into everything in very defensive ways. Yeah. In terms of, this person is out to get me. I would not go in it like, you know, trusting people. I was very like, it's me against the world. I've got to get this green card. Um, I need to make sure that I'm established. And I always, I don't know what happened, but I always felt like I was never good enough. Yeah, yeah. Which was really sad. That is so sad, that Annie. Sad. And Especially look, look what you've had to endure and overcome to get to where you are. And you're just like, I'm not good enough. Put some respect on your name. But then babe. something changed where I started to realize, I stopped doing the work. Yeah. I stopped like actually being like the perfect performer. Oh, okay. And then I realized, oh my God, like I'm carrying yeah. people. I'm actually carrying people. Like your team. I'm carrying people. Yeah. And I realized that like certain people could not do the work. 
gosh. Listen, and sometimes you I need said, to let people fall for themselves, you know. And that's why I said to myself, okay, no more of this. No more proving myself. No more asking for your validation. Validation systems inside me. Mm. I'm going to validate myself. I'm going to show up as myself. You are, I know my value. You know my value. I'm going to le- never let you forget my value. And that's how I've been for the last two years. And I think I just carried a different energy and it's reflected in the money that I get, the opportunities that I get. Whereas before, I was just like so grateful for anything. Yeah. And I was missing out on stuff. Okay, that's interesting. What about like making relationships? Because I feel in the workplace, because I do feel like there's the stereotype yeah. that the British are very reserved and yeah. Americans are really like, out there how was that like for you to fit in culturally that was hard for me because i'm like uh, uh, put it this way i'm the type of person that can be by myself 24 7 and be okay yeah and interact with people maybe once a month Mm -hmm. a lot of people they need that so it's easier for me i think what happened when i went to seattle is i was a little bit like a celebrity like Mm -hmm. let me explain this a little bit like i'm black Mm -hmm. And I'm British mm. and I live in America. Mm. So, people, so you got that accent. When they hear that accent, the accent like a lot of people wanted to be my friends, but they had something called the Seattle freeze. So anyone that didn't grow up in Seattle would feel like not welcome, yeah. they said. But I felt welcome. I felt like people were really nice. But I'm also did like... They ask you, oh, do you drink tea and crumpets? Did they ask me, like, <laughs> have I gone to see the Queen? And I'm like, did you go to see Obama? <laughs> <laughs> You know, you just, they say little things like that and, oh, they'll They're just, just fascinated, isn't it? They'll say I've never they also, a black British person before. I was going to say, they don't think that there's black people in the they, UK. They, it's they, insane. But also as well, like, you know, one of the things I do want to call out and I've noticed is, you know, I feel like sometimes I get this privilege because I'm British. Like, we don't talk enough about the African-American struggle and mm. the microaggressions and the things that they face in the workplace and yes, I will face it. And I think when two groups are oppressed, so I'm oppressed because I'm Black. Mm-hmm. African-Americans are oppressed because they're Black, but also because they're African-Americans. Mm. And there's a privilege me being British sometimes. In what way though, babe? Have you heard, like, I don't know if we want to go into this topic about a lot of British actors. I've heard of this. The Americans think that British actors are coming to steal their roles, basically, so that they're getting less work. Yeah, and oppressed people don't want to hear from another oppressed group that, they're making it worse. Yes. And yes. they're not. It's actually the industry and the infrastructure. Like when I go for an interview, why am I chosen sometimes? I think, is it because I'm British? And I'm okay but, saying that, having that... Comp- okay, because but let's, let's unpack that yeah. a bit, right? No, And help me understand. So if I'm naive here, I'm open to yeah. learning, right? So are you saying that, is it the British accent that has privilege Or is it the fact that you're highly skilled because you've come from London? I think it's complex. I think it is... Because I don't get it. I think it is you have someone who has the core skills. Yeah. You also have a situation where a lot of companies are pushing for diversity. Okay, so you tick a diversity box. I pick that box. Okay, because you're rich, makes sense. I think a lot of people feel very comfortable around British people. There's a fetish, like, I don't know, obsession around British people just in general. Is it because that because it's not something they see regularly? I think there's 
just I don't know what it is. Like if you look in American movies, I don't think I've watched any American movies where there's not a British person in there. Wow. Like a British evil person. Like Yeah, but I feel like it happens the other way around though. Like I feel like here, especially growing up, yeah. if you saw an American, if you had an American accent, like we were like, wow. Do you know what I mean? It happens. We too. were obsessed with American culture, American shows, American celebrity. Yeah. Like I I do think as a country and community, for a long time we were looking over there. Yeah. I, and I, now maybe they're looking at us. It's because I've seen a lot of people face racism. In my circle, I've seen it and I've seen me be treated different. I'm going to give you an example. Um, I was stopped by police. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I was stopped, stopped by police. I So they have these things in the US called car tags. So you need to have your car tags displayed. And I didn't have car tags for three years, but I was moving every single year. So by the time they were sending it to me, so I got stopped in like one of the wealthiest areas, like Bellevue. And I got stopped. And when I got stopped, the police officer took out their gun. Now, this oh is, my days. This is, I didn't know this stuff. Do you know what? Yeah. I, I see this stuff, but I was like, I didn't realise it would happen to yeah. women like that as well. And he I mean, the stuff me is disgusting anyway. To put my hand up and use my other hand to go into my glove um, compartment. compartment and get my, I think my driving licence and my registration. And I watched as he heard me speak him soften and he goes oh you're really not from here so you were less threatening I was less threatening and it was it was the first time I realized it and then I realized it again in some of the workplaces that I've worked in Mm. in terms of watching someone else be called aggressive and me say exactly the same thing I hate that term with a passion yeah and I always say to people when they say that, when you say the word aggression, can you please articulate what that means for you? Yeah. Because what I mean is that I feel threatened physically. So physically, emotionally, I feel like my safety is being threatened. So can you express that? And most of the time they can't. Yeah. What it is, is you've made me uncomfortable. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. Straight up. Just just say it out loud. And, yeah. But I force them to say, I'm not going to say it to them. You're going to say it to me. You're going to articulate what aggressive is to me. Wow, that is so insane. So basically, you're a safer choice. I think it's complex pills. I'm petite, like I'm short. (laughs) Yeah. I'm tiny. I don't speak very loud as well. You're not extroverted. I'm not extroverted. I don't know. Like, but I have seen enough of it to be like, wait one minute. There's something here which makes you feel more comfortable around me. And do you think that is like kind of is also what is happening in the other kind of like industries, like you said, in acting, in music? So do you feel then if you're feeling that in the corporate space that it's actually happening for talent as well? So when Americans are saying that, oh, the British guys are coming over here and taking our jobs, of course, that's their experience. But there is a general or genuine concern from them that British people are being, that black British people are being favoured over them. I think the problem is we have to look at racism and the part of racism is to make the diaspora hate each other. Yeah. And I think the the blame is misplaced. Mm. So look, for example, if I get an opportunity, I'm going to take it. Come on now. I'm going to take it. It doesn't matter. Lives. If I am an actor and I work in the UK and I'm not getting opportunities... You have to look elsewhere. You look elsewhere. I think the problem is, is how Hollywood views US versus UK actors. 
And is that, I think that's across the board. I don't think that's just a black across, thing. It's not across the board. But I also think what a lot of people don't realise is that how racism shows up in UK TV. Yeah. So I think that's the layer that's missing. Like, yeah, yeah. if these UK actors could find opportunities here in their hometown, they wouldn't be looking at other places. So it's like, you both are fighting the same battle. And what this, I don't know how Hollywood have done it. They're like, we're doing this, but we're going to let you fight amongst each other. Each other, yeah. And I and hate that. The other thing is, though, like, even the fact that we call it Hollywood, yeah. it's a bigger thing than what it is here. It is. Like, America is a bigger country, so therefore the opportunities are going to be more there. Yeah. And I think that's how um, British people view it. Mm-hmm. Like, even growing up, I would always see America as the land of opportunity. Even me, I could have gone and, you know, tried to do American Dream. That's how I saw it when no, I was going please up. Please come. Come oh, to me. Oh, you'll see me. Don't you worry, sis. <laughs> come to me, please. <laughs> you will see me. Don't you worry. Okay, but the other thing is actually, in saying that, yeah, what I see in the news right now about America maybe scares me a bit about moving there. In, yeah. in all honesty, growing up, it was the American dream. And now I'm like, mm, it's not shaping up to be what I thought it once was. Would I actually move there permanently? I'm not sure, to be honest. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> These lot don't know. They don't know. <laughs> but I mean, I'm I'm still very much building, working. So it's I like the building part. Sometimes it's hard, but I think one of the main things that I find with the people that I keep close around me, like you, is that even when we want to like just kind of like stop or give up, because you know what? Like starting this podcast in my 30s, something that I battled with like internally was like, do you know what? Am I too old? to start something again because I'm one of those people if you've known me for a long time you will know that I've done so many different things like different jobs I've always worked in entertainment but I've switched I've went from music then I was doing a business where I was just working with like businesses and then I went into advertising and then I went into TV and then now I'm in podcasting and I've tried so many different projects on the sides and at some stage I was like you know what is it enough now like am I too old to keep on trying things and also I felt like um how many times can I say to my friends oh here we go with something new again and actually like now that I've physically gone and done it I'm just like you just you're just never too old whatever spikes your interest you just gotta go for it otherwise life can actually be boring I always think of life like an ocean Mm. Like things flow in and out of your life. Yeah. And like I think about, I can't, I'm going to quote the person right, wrong. I don't know if it's Shonda Rhimes or I think it's Ava when they said that they started their career late in their life. Yeah. I think you always pivot. Like for me, HR is not as important to me as my side hustles. Yeah. And that's okay. Like it just means that that was a beautiful chapter and it's time for that chapter to close or just not be as relevant. So, like, even if you decided, okay, you want to move into a different industry next month. And I might do, you know. Just, like, <laughs> I think as long as you're open to opportunities, this is where you thrive in life. I think if we say, like, I think people that stay in one career, unless you love it, love it, love it, like, you're doing yourself a disservice sometimes for exploring yeah. different things. Yeah, <laughs> no, I agree. And do you know what? I've just made a commitment to myself. Like, I'm not going to stop trying things yeah. that, like pique my interest if anything I feel like I've still got a long way to go in terms of yeah I'm doing the things that pique my interest but maybe I need to talk about them more maybe I need to promote them a bit more like I know they still I've unlocked one level of fear and there's a whole other level of fear 
still to unlock. Like, we're doing it, but I'm not doing it. Like, I know I can be doing it, you know? You have to become, like... I think the problem, especially in the UK culture, like, you mentioned that we're really reserved. Yeah. So people don't want to celebrate their own successes. Like, when you get online, even when I say I've done this, you can feel a little hate sometimes. You can feel it. You can just feel it. But then also it's like, okay... Why does that person have time to hate you? Yeah, it's true. It's true. Because they see something in you. Yeah, and sometimes it's not hate. Do you know what it is? Because I think I've been in um, this position before. Sometimes it is just like you're limiting yourself. And when you limit yourself and you see somebody else doing something, it just triggers you. So I'll say that's That's what it is. a great word. It's triggering. It It is triggering for a lot of people. And it's, it's more like internal battle. Yes. That they're push it externally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they don't want to deal with it themselves. Yeah. They're pushing it onto you. Yeah. So it's not even your battle to to face, but you feel that energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Annie, thanks so much (laughs) for like stopping by my podcast. I'm glad to be here. I'm so proud of you. I know we're wrapping up, but this girl, like I... I, (laughs) We don't need to do all of that. It's all good. Let me do this because you don't get your flowers. I know these are plants. (laughs) You don't get your flowers. She does so much and you are the person that connects everybody. You're a networker. I just feel like this is perfect for you. Like, Thank you. When people are looking at podcasting, I'm like, this is what you should be looking at. Like, You are the example of like how it should be. Oh, bless you. You're so cute. Where can people follow like you, I Annie? too much on Twitter. No, Twitter's good. So where can people find Twitter you? At, so it's multiple different names. Sorry, I'm not changing them. <laughs> So Twitter at, I think it is, underscore Nerdaholic. Yes. And then you can follow me on Antoinette Francois, um, underscore. Yeah. And that's... For my sewing page. For her sewing page. We don't just focus on one area. She has several. Skill sets. Exactly. And we're going to pick up on that on another episode, talking about like on pivots and side hustles and all that good stuff. Right. Uh, Thank you, Annie. Thank you. All right. Bye, guys. Thanks to my girl Annie for dropping by. I really enjoyed that chat. I'm going to have her back because we do need to get into like what she's doing with her side hustles, building her property portfolio. So I'll do that in a separate conversation. But I hope you enjoyed that. And guys, leave us some reviews. Give us some ratings on Spotify, Apple, all that stuff, because it helps this podcast to reach a wider audience and don't forget to follow us on instagram it is at no approval podcast and i'm personally at pillar of society thanks guys bye see you next week